We are in John chapter 4. Uh, we're going to pick up at verse 46. We're going to finish the end of 4, and then we're going to do the beginning of chapter 15, or chapter 5. Uh, interesting two passages because they're two separate healing. Uh, when Jesus heals two different individuals, and I don't think it's by chance the difference between the two. So let's pray and ask the Lord to give us insight, wisdom, direction, and understanding. Heavenly Father, we submit to you and ask you for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit tonight, that you would give us your wisdom tonight, that you would speak to us and show us your heart, and Lord, that we could learn, we could glean through the word here, just like a, like a person who walks through a field looking for treasures, and we're looking for nuggets of wisdom and understanding and insight. And Lord, Holy Spirit, you're the one who helps us to see those little glimmers, those nuggets. And we thank you, Father. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I was thinking about how I just prayed, how that uh, we're looking for nuggets. Uh, we were We've been going through lots of stuff in our house. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how much you accumulate. When you're a part pat rat, pack rat, uh, plus you hate to see anything go to waste. Uh, plus, I used to dive in dumpsters and get things out that I thought were valuable. Uh, so you add all that together, plus we've been in one house for a long time, you accumulate lots of stuff. You know that? Uh, my wife told me the other day, she said, sweetheart, we could get rid of a lot of stuff if you just change your theology. I said, what? She said, if you just go back to the pre-trib rapture, believe nothing's going to happen bad, and we're not going to have to go through anything bad, then we could get rid of a lot of this stuff. <laughs> I said, I don't know about that. So... Thinking about walking through a field, uh, two, it was two or three years before I met my wife, Vicki, um, I was at a Baptist church, a minister of music, youth, and education uh, in Winsboro, Texas, um, for a time, I believe this must have been 1972, 73, something like that. So... We went. My, the pastor, whose name is Dan Hubble, and I went to Nevada, and we were doing a revival out there. I was leading the worship, and he was preaching. And so the guy that was in the church had a, a mine out there. They got lots of rocks and mines and stuff. And so he said, I'm going to let you come and walk through my mine field. Uh, my field of gems and he said if you find these gems you can have them he said but I'm going to tell you they're hard to find and I said oh really he said you might find one but you might not probably won't find anything and it was uh, the particular gem that he specialized was garnets little dark garnet and so uh, he said you probably won't find any but he didn't know that I have a really good eye and I found 20 of them, great big uh, garnets that were beautiful. 
And he couldn't believe it. He wanted to take it back and get some of those back from me, you know. But we were digging through all our stuff, and I found those things. You know, I hadn't seen those things in almost 40 years. And I found them, I thought, what am I going to do with these? You know, you know, it's a kind of rough stone, but uh, we'll figure out something to do with them at some point. Yeah, we'll sell them or something. Praise God. But that's the way it is. God illuminates your mind as we walk through the Word of God, and He shines the light on certain portions and lets them jump out, and you see them as the jewels they are, the treasures that are there that other people walk by, and they don't see those treasures. You know, if you talk to a lot of your friends, they don't see the treasures and the beauty of God's Word that that you see. And sometimes, even if you point it out to them, they still kind of like, so? So what? And it takes the Holy Spirit to open our heart and our mind and to show us uh, what this is. So we're going to look at two interesting healings. Uh, What's interesting is one is a Gentile, the other is a Jew. One, the Gentile, was seeking after Jesus, pursuing Jesus, for Jesus to heal his son, where the other one, Jesus, initiated the contact. Jesus is the one that walks up to the man who had been sick or infirm for 38 years, sitting at the pool of Bethesda. Interesting, the word Bethesda here in the Hebrew actually means a place of grace. A place, actually it's a little more descriptive. It actually describes the overflowing place of grace. And Bethesda was a place where there were five separate pools of water. Overflowing. Of course, it was the initial was the overflowing of water, but it became known as the overflowing place of grace, God's grace. And uh, so we're going to look at that where Jesus initiates the contact. Jesus uh, reaches out to a man who had been sick and unable to move, unable. It doesn't really tell us what's wrong with him. Uh, it, it describes him as infirmed or has a weakness And certainly by the description of it, it seems as though he's not able to move well. So we'll look at both of these healings. And from that, I'm praying the Holy Spirit would give us some principles of healing. Everybody needs to understand that they have, you, you need to learn how to pray for your healing. You know, it's not always somebody around that can pray for your healing. You need to learn to how to pray and believe for healing in the name of Jesus. And so that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. He wants us to look at principles in the Word that Jesus gives us. He drops these nuggets of truth so that we would understand what it's like to come to Him and say, Lord, I need healing. I need restoration in my body. I I need healing in my body. Because at some point, you will need healing. You Maybe you need healing tonight. Maybe you need healing next week. Maybe you needed it last week. But at some point, we all need God's touch. So I'm asking you just to be open 
to the Holy Spirit. As we read, we're going to go through and read these two passages. We're going to pick up verse 46, go down to 54. That'll finish chapter 4. And then we're going to read the next 16 verses of chapter 5. And you'll see these two stories. And we'll back up and we'll look and see what I believe God wants us to see. Let's pick up verse 46. As he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. Familiar place. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. So obviously it's pretty serious, not just a slight sickness. He's about to die. Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see these marvelous, these miraculous signs and wonders? It's almost like, are you ever going to get it? Are you always going to be asking me for a sign and a miracle? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. The man in verse 49 does not pay a whole lot of attention to what Jesus said in verse 48. You know, he could have gotten offended by that type of response. But you know, this man is only focused on one thing. My son is about to die. He doesn't have time to get offended. He doesn't have time to get worried about what Jesus said. He is focused on one thing, and that is my son needs healing. So he begged him. He he pleaded with him. The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said, and he started home. While the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, Yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was at the very time Jesus had told him, Your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Obviously, the first one was at the wedding and the water was turned to wine. There was a lot of people who believed that miracles would and great things would only happen in Jerusalem. So it's not by chance that Jesus did some things outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea. Because he wanted them to know God's miracle working power is not just located in Jerusalem. God's power is everywhere. Power is not relegated to a geographic location. It's a person. And he wanted them to know that. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Let's go back now. Let's keep going. This is the next healing. Afterwards... Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. So it may sound like uh, it was right after that, but actually the trip from Galilee to Jerusalem, 
uh, is probably a, a two to three week period, hard trip. Uh, it's all uphill from Galilee, who's in a lower area, all the way up to Jerusalem, who's kind of up on uh, seven hills. And it's a steady climb all the way, a mountain range. You, you literally go, if you've ever been there, you know that. Uh, so it's quite a trip. It, it's not like it happened the next day. Jesus made the journey back to Judea. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was a pool of Bethesda, which with five covered porches, crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. Now, did you notice that there is no verse 4 there? At least in this translation. I know you see it up there. You got three and then it jumps down to five. Well, let me just explain to you. Uh, let me read to you verse 4. Um, we, I think we have verse 4 available to you in the New King James. This is what it says in verse 4 in the New King James. Well, verse 3 says, In these, uh, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. And notice that is not in verse 3 of the New Living Translation. And then verse 4 says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well, whatever the disease he had. And then it jumps on to verse 5. So you might ask, okay, well, why? And you'll see this on several translations. They leave out verse 4. And, and the reason is some of the scholars disagreed about this. Uh, some believed that that was a tradition. Some believed that was a local tradition, uh, a kind of a, a belief among the people. But they didn't feel like it was uh, verified enough in, in the Scriptures. So some of them leave it all, some of them put it in there. And actually, it's not important what caused the water to move. Um, there's a spring of water there. We've actually went to the pool of Bethesda. And springs come from several different areas that feed these pools. Uh, it's right there by the church of St. Anne there in Jerusalem. And from time to time, there will be a surge of water who will come in from one of those particular places that feed the, uh, the spring. And that will come from various reasons. Uh, but they believed that an angel would be the one who would cause this sudden rushing in of water. It would stir up the water. There would be ripples. And it came to be believed that that was an angel doing that. And that the first one who could get in while the water was moving, they would be healed. And that comes into play in just a minute. We'll see in verse 5. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Boy, that's a long time to be sick. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Now, don't you think that's an amazing question? I want you just to chew on that just a minute. Why would Jesus ask a man who had been coming there? Probably somebody had to bring him there. It's doubtful that he lived there. 
somebody, he had a family member or somebody, a friend, who would bring him to the pool every day for 38 years. Amazing. And Jesus asked him, do you really want to be well? So I'm going to ask you to think about why did Jesus ask that question? Because in a moment, I'm going to ask you that. But I want you to consider that. I think there's a reason. Verse 7, I can't, sir, the sick man says. So he obviously doesn't know this is Jesus. He doesn't know who it is. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Verse 8. Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking, but this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Any other day, this miracle would have been fine, but it happened on a Sabbath. Do you think Jesus knew that? Absolutely, he knew that. He knew the Pharisees were nearby. He knew what they, how they would respond to this. And that's the reason he said, not just, you're healed. He said, pick up your mat and walk. You could even say, Jesus is looking for a fight. He's looking for a confrontation. He's looking to expose the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He's looking to show them how perverted their thinking has gotten. You see it here. So the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, You can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. Man, they ought to be jumping up and down, hopping and skipping and worshiping God, thanking God. He's healed after 38 years. But no, they're worried about him carrying that stupid mat. Because you can't do any kind of work on the Sabbath. And he's carrying a mat. That's considered to be work. So they're all bent out of shape. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who would say such a thing as that, they demand. Again, they're not worried about the healing. They're not worried about the fact that he's been sick and and blind and lame. Excuse me, lame for 38 years. They could care less about all that. All they're worried about is that mat. And now they're worried about who told him to pick up that mat. They demanded The man didn't know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple. Now, here's it's interesting. Jesus found him at the pool of Bethesda and approached him. Right? So now Jesus finds him again. Man's not finding Jesus. Jesus is finding him. Now you are well. So, stop sinning. Or something even worse may happen to you. Whoa. 
Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. Now I have another question for you. Why in the world did this man go find the religious leaders and tell them who did it? Tell them that Jesus, who Je- it was Jesus. Why would he do that? He'd just gotten healed for, for, from being uh, not able to walk for 38 years. And he knows they're upset about it. He knows they're looking for who did it. Why would he seek out the religious leaders and tell on them? Why would he turn in the man who healed him? He didn't have to do that. He could have just left it alone. He could have just been walking off his way, thanking God that he's able to uh, walk and talk and, and he's not lame anymore. He could just be worshiping God. But no. He goes and finds the religious leaders and tells them, the guy you're looking for is Jesus. And so begins the clash. Up until this point, right here, there's no problem particularly between the religious leaders and Jesus. But from here on out, they're after him. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of them trying to find a reason to shut this guy down. And this is the beginning of it. And so my question again is, why in the world did this guy do that? So I think there's a reason for the answer to that. So you're chewing on that answer? You're thinking about it? Okay, let's back up. Let's go back to the first miracle. A couple of things I think that are, I think are worth looking at. Principles, I call them principles of healing. First thing, is, and that is, we must believe in Jesus. Now, let me qualify that. Not everybody who is healed believes in Jesus. But, Somebody believed in Jesus for them. Here we have a father who's believing for his child. The child, as far as we know, may not know Jesus, probably doesn't know Jesus. The man is a heathen. He's a Gentile. He doesn't know God. But he has heard about Jesus. He's part of Herod's government. He's one of government officials of Herod. And he has heard about Jesus. He's heard the miracles that people have talked about. His son is sick. His son is about to die. He hears Jesus makes it from Judea all the way to Galilee. And all he's interested in is I want to talk to Jesus and get him to heal my son. So the son may not believe in Jesus. But the father believes in Jesus. And so there are a lot of people, actually, in the Old Testament, the New Testament, that God shows his gracious mercy to, that may or may not believe in Jesus themselves. But I want to tell you, somebody believes in Jesus. Multitudes of people were healed many times by Jesus. But they believed enough in Jesus, they got there for Jesus to pray for them. And so it 
it, it, it requires an authentic, genuine faith that is willing to live out your faith every day. Let me just ask you a question, and I have a parallel I want to draw here. How many of you here are married? Let me see your hand. Okay, some married people here. All right. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you know you're married? No. The fact that you signed a piece of paper paper many years ago doesn't necessarily mean you're married because a lot of people have signed that piece of paper and they're not married today. You made a vow... But a lot of people have made a vow a long time ago. The way? Okay. That's right. I'm looking for something here. I'm, I'm searching for something. Ah, there. That's what I'm looking for. The way you really know you're married is you come home. You go to work and you come home. And you love your wife, you love your husband. You love your kids. You get up the next morning and you go back to work because you know the family's got to eat. And you love your family, you love your wife. You see, my point is, is that the way we really know I'm, we're married, it's, it's, it's the way we live. It's a life. We live our love and our marriage. Yeah, we, we signed a paper. Yeah, we made a vow. We made a commitment many years ago. But real marriage is every day. It's every day. Now I want to take that into our relationship with God. It's not based on a sinner's prayer you prayed 25 years ago. It's today you got up this morning and you're in love with Jesus. You're in love with Jesus today. You seek him today. You live an authentic life of faith Because you love him. That's how you know you're a Christian. Not because of some commitment you made 25, 35, or 45, or 55 years ago. Yes, that is required. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to have a beginning point, a faith point, where you begin your faith in Christ. I'm not trying to diminish that. But what I'm saying, the reality of our life in Christ is something we live every day. And when I say we must believe in Jesus, it is a life lived in faith that he's our healer. He's our restorer. Every day. And I'm trying to give you nuggets of truth that will help you to be able to pray for your own healing and pray for others. You need to believe in Jesus. Not with the superficial, I've said a sinner's prayer faith. But you believe in Jesus because every day you get up with Jesus. 
Every day you're in love with Jesus. Every day you seek his face and seek his word. You have a relationship with the loving God. You figured out that he loves you and you love him. And you want to be in relationship with him. You want more than religion. You want more than a relationship with the church. You want a relationship with a Savior who loves you. That is so much better. So much more lasting. You see, if you have a relationship with religion or, or something that, that's, that's religious, that doesn't hold you through the tough times. It doesn't make you help you get you through the difficult time. It is authentic faith that you live every day that helps you make it through even the difficult time. Because the truth of it is, sometimes things don't go the way you planned. And that leads you to the second principle. You can't allow your faith to be distracted. And that's what I see from this Gentile. I see this from this government official. He could have been put off and irritated at what Jesus said. Jesus, after he asked him to heal his son, his response is not anything about his son. His response is not about what Jesus is going to do. It has no sympathy for this man or this man's son. All he says is, are people always going to be looking for wonders and signs and miracles? Are they always going to be asking me? Opportunity number one to get irritated, distracted, and offended. He could have been. He could have just said, well, that's what you think. I'm out of here, man. You're going to talk with me like that? I, you know, I don't, I don't know why you said that. But you know, if you want to be healed, and you want your child to be healed, and you want your friend to be healed, there has to be a tenacity and a doggedness about your faith that says, I'm not going to be distracted by what happens, what doesn't happen, what they say, what I don't care any of that. I want to seek God and I'm going to focus in and I'm not going to be distracted by all this other stuff. And here's the second thing. Jesus does not go with them. Isn't that what he said? Jesus, he wanted Jesus to go with him to pray for his child. Jesus does not go with him. He just says, your son will live. He didn't say your son is healed. He didn't say right now at this time your son is getting better. He didn't say it. He just said your son will live. So now he has opportunity too to get offended. You mean you're not going to go with me? You mean you're not going to... Make, your, make the trip with me to go back and be with my son. You're not going to lay hands on him. Kind of reminds me of what happened back in the Old Testament, remember? When, when, when the official, uh, he was upset. that Naaman was upset that uh, Elijah was not going to uh, pray for him himself. Elijah just sent a messenger and said, Go wash in the pool of the Jordan River seven times, and you'll be healed. And he got upset. He got offended and said, oh, you, didn't, you didn't even come out yourself? You didn't even tell me in person? And well, what's wrong with all the rivers in Syria? Why, why the River Jordan, that dirty thing? But this man, 
He's not offended at anything. And, and I guess what I'm trying to say, I believe there was a nugget of truth there. That if we are going to believe for healing, if we are going to be healed, we have to be determined enough, tenacious enough to not get distracted or offended by anything. And you know, sometimes God is not going to do it your way. That's just the, that's just the truth. You've got this little box of the way you think God ought to do things, and he ought to do it this way and this way, and God, I'd like you to do it this Maybe what if God doesn't do it your way? You need to stay firm and focused on your faith in Christ, even when God doesn't do it your way. Jesus just says, real simple, your son, he'll live. And the official, I was good enough. Okay, my son's going to live. He started home. Met by his servants who were taking care of his son. They said, your son got better. His fever broke. He's doing great. He's going to live. He's healed. And he says, no, nah, he didn't have a stopwatch. He didn't have a watch on. But I don't know how he knew, but he knew somehow the time. He said, what time did it happen? You know, he wore a great big sundial. I don't know what he did. But somehow he knew about 1 o'clock. And he knew that was the time Jesus said, your son will live. So is the word of the Lord powerful? The word of God is powerful. It doesn't always have to happen our way. But we do need to believe he's faithful. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to not let yourself get distracted. The third thing I see here, besides not getting distracted, and that is, and this goes to the next healing, you have to desire to be healed. Remember that strange question Jesus asked the man who had been sick for 38 years? Okay, you've been thinking about it a while. You ready to tell me why in the world did Jesus ask a man who had been coming to this pool of Bethesda for 38 years? Why did Jesus ask him, do you want to be healed? Anybody? I have some thoughts. I have some ideas. I'm not sure I'm totally right here, but I think I have a good idea. Anybody have any thoughts why? What do you think, Diana? Diana? <laughs> I love the way your husband says, she's got an answer. She's got an answer. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm wondering... You had a thought, Miss Nevis? Yeah. I, you know, sometimes we get comfortable in our sickness. And it, like you almost, you said, you, it becomes, 38 years, it becomes who you are. It's like, get up and, and here's another thought. Generally, those people 
that talks about who were blind and lame and paralyzed sitting around there? That was also the place they begged for money. It was also their source of income. And they had got used to that lifestyle of people feeling sorry for them. And giving them alms. And them soliciting, soliciting donations. You know, sometimes you can get comfortable in your sin. You can get comfortable in your sickness. You can get comfortable in your lifestyle. You can get comfortable with people feeling sorry for you. And so it probably wasn't that wild a question when Jesus said, Do you really want to be well? And I believe he's asking us. He's challenging us. Are you really ready for a change in your life? You know, some people would rather enjoy their sin than change. And everything that would come with that change. And it's hard to miss the fact. After he's healed, Jesus seeks him out. Finds him. And tells him, you need to stop sinning. You need to stop sinning. Because you don't know. Something worse may come. If you don't stop your sin. Now, what was this sin? We have no earthly idea. It doesn't tell us. But it gives us a little clue. Gives us a little idea. This man had gotten used to his life. And it was his identity. It was who he was. And if you want to be healed, you've got to be ready for some changes in your life. And I want to just encourage you. Be ready for God to do something different in your life and change you. And don't be afraid of change. And so, Jesus asked the man, do you really want to be healed? And I think he's telling us something here about our healing. Do you really want to be healed? And I think he's, he's questioning us, you know, is there really a desire for change in our life? Or could we get comfortable where we are? Sometimes people are just afraid of change. They don't know what it's like. I want to encourage you, glean from this nugget of truth when Jesus asked this man, do you want to be well? And again, who initiated this? Jesus. The man didn't walk up to Jesus. He didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him. Jesus looked at him. And hey, it says the pool was filled with people who were lame and blind and couldn't move. And Jesus picks one person. My question, immediate question is, what about all the others? It was this man's time. And plus, God wanted to pick him out because maybe Jesus saw that he was comfortable in his sickness. And he wanted to probe his heart 
and say, do you really want to get better? Are you just here? You just play in the game of thinking. You know, he had an instant answer. You saw that. Oh, I don't have anybody to put me in the water when the angel comes and stirs the water. That wasn't a problem. And Jesus knew that wasn't a problem. Problem was, do you really want to be healed? That's the problem. And, you know, a miracle of miracles. What was the real miracle? It says instantly. Isn't that what it says? Go back there if you would. Uh, back to chapter uh, 5. Chuck, put it back up there. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Verse 9, instantly the man was healed. Okay, let's analyze. What does that mean? When it says the man was healed, what did that actually mean? If you have not walked for 38 years, what is the biggest miracle about you standing up and walking? You have no muscle tone. You have no muscle of any kind. I mean, if you've ever been bedridden for a couple of months or a couple of weeks even, your muscle tone goes quick. That's why if you're in there, they're, they're, those physical therapists, they're in there trying to get you to move. And what are they doing? They're trying to make sure those muscles don't degrade and they want to keep those, that muscle tone up. If you hadn't walked in 38 years, it was an amazing miracle. His muscles and tendons and ligaments just all of a sudden came to life, came to life and strengthened. And Jesus said, pick up your mat and walk, carry your mat. And he did it. And then we have the problem with the Pharisees. They're all bent out of shape. They're not worried about... Him healing, him getting healed. All the worried about is him not breaking the Sabbath. How sad. And, and to me, that's just a picture of sometimes we can get so over-focused on the wrong thing. And I just want to encourage you, don't get overly religious. <laughs> that may sound strange coming from a pastor, but it's true. Don't get overly religious. That'll ruin you. You know, love Jesus. Be in love with Jesus. Be in love with the Word of God. Be in love with one another. Love the church. Love His His body. Love the Word of God. But sometimes religion has a way of blinding you to who God really is. And these people, they had lost it. They couldn't even see the goodness of God. They couldn't see the goodness of what had happened to this man. They were so upset about their little rule being broken. Legalism is blind. The fourth thing I see here is sometimes you have to be willing to walk out the evidence of your healing. So I think the guy probably knew this was going to upset people. And he picked up the mat. Feeling that newborn strength and energy and the muscles and all kinds of stuff. Praise God, I'm healed. And he's walking around and everything's fine until the religious peoples hit him. 
and jumped in his face and said, what in the world are you doing? And then all of a sudden, he wasn't so sure about everything. And then he starts to backtrack a little bit. I don't know. The guy, the guy to heal me, he, he told me to do this. He didn't say, hey, guys, you ought to be thanking God that I'm healed. He didn't say that. He said, that man that did, he, 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 that man that healed, it's his fault. He knew these people were upset at whoever it was. And that brings you back to the, back to the last part. Why in the world did he go find those guys? Anybody have an idea? Why did he go tell the religious leaders who Jesus was? Knew it was going to cause a problem. Why would you turn on the man who just healed you? Why would you get in trouble a person who just restored you to life? Anybody have any ideas? Yes, what do you think? I think it has everything to do with Jesus looking at him and saying, you need to stop sinning. You think he liked that? He didn't like that. You know, when people get called out for their sin, they have a tendency not to like that. When you point out that something is sin, it's amazing how angry they get and how they want to attack the person who just pointed out the obvious truth. They want to kill the messenger. Because they can't handle the message. And I think when, I think this guy was fine until Jesus looked at him and said, you need to stop sinning. And if you don't stop sinning, even worse things are going to happen to you. When Jesus said that, it was just like, are you kidding me? You telling me I'm sinning? Well, obviously he was. Jesus would not have said that had it not been true. Jesus knows our heart. He knows our attitude. He knows all about us now. Let's, let's don't go too far with this. Is Jesus trying to tell us that every time you have sickness, it means there's sin in your life? No. You can see that. Jump ahead to John, cha- uh, John chapter 9. Look at John chapter 9. Verse 1, 2, 3. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, the disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Don't you think that's a crazy question? Blind from birth? What would you do, sin before he got born? <laughs> But Jesus answered it. He said it was not because of his sins or his parents' sin. Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. So sometimes it has absolutely nothing to do with sin. So it just is a reminder. Don't get a little formula. Find something and start a formula. Oh, Jesus said... You need to stop sinning, and if you don't stop sinning, worse things are going to happen. That means that 
Every time you sin, you're going to get sickness. No, that's not what he says. It just means sometimes. Sometimes your sin can have consequences. Most likely your sin will have consequences. And it can even be consequences in your own physical body. But not always. Doesn't mean every time you get sick, it was because you sinned. It just, it's just an opportunity and a reminder for us to search our hearts. And say, Lord, search my heart. And a chance, an opportunity to repent. And turn and say, Lord... You know, when Jesus called out this man's sin, he should, have, he should have repented right there. He should have just fell on his knees and said, oh, Jesus, you're right. I've got some things hidden in my heart. Maybe he was a blasphemer. Maybe he cursed God. Maybe he blamed God. Maybe he was a gossip. Maybe he hated people. Maybe he was filled with bitterness and resentment. I don't know what his sin was, but there was some sin that was tied in with this sickness. And I have seen in the past how bitterness and resentment is so easily tied to being crippled. It's almost like the poison of bitterness has a way of crippling us on the inside and affecting us physically. And Jesus was calling him out. He was just saying, hey, you need to stop sinning. Or maybe it's going to get worse. Maybe the same thing you just had is going to come back. You need to change your life. I don't think he liked it. And I think because he didn't like it, he found those religious Pharisees. And he said, I got this guy's name. And if you want to get him, you can get him. His name is Jesus. Lord, help us to be appreciative when you do something in our life. Even if it means, Lord, that we've had sin exposed in us. Lord, help us to be appreciative. I'm going to just ask you to bow your heads tonight. Maybe there's some people who are sick tonight. I just want to pray you'd be well. But I'll also, I'd like for you to have the courage and strength to believe for your own healing and to and believe for healing for your friends and your loved ones and your family. Lord Jesus, I just ask you tonight, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would give us the courage of our convictions, that our faith would be a real, live, authentic faith that we live every day. And Lord, I pray that not only would we believe in you, but Lord Jesus, that we would not allow ourselves to get distracted from, by anything, even if you don't do things our way, Lord, that we would not be distracted in our faith towards you. And we would hunger and thirst for you. Thank you, Lord. Teach us, Lord, to focus on you and to love you with our whole heart, to believe you for healing in our physical body. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Amen.